Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you're back to the Stardog channel again for another of your fortnightly or semi-fortnightly or whenever we generally can be bothered to pull our finger out to do these podcasts. Uh, waltz through the, the vaults of pop culture where we generally throw ourselves willingly or sometimes less than willingly in the case of Ralph and Manimal onto the grenades of pop culture that some of you might not know or be fully aware of or you should do and for some reason have managed to go through your entire life with some kind of blinkers on your head. Uh, I'm Andrew, uh, Andy, uh, the only ever present member of the Stardub podcast. As you may know, Ralph is currently unavailable. As I've said before repeatedly, he's not dead. I haven't buried him under a patio. It is not me absolutely faking that Stardubbing Twitter account. No, no, not at all. Uh, so once again, I've invited a friend of the podcast to uh, fill the uh, the shoes of my boon companion. So I'll let the man who's a... Uh, taking the place as second living and breathing stunt Ralph. Introduce himself. I'm not quite sure Ralph would agree that I'm a friend of the podcast, considering everything I've done to him. Well, well, as as he's not here, I technically am the podcast, and I pissed myself laughing every time you did things, so you are indeed a friend. Uh, now, listeners of Stardub, my name is J.D. My presence has been felt before on this podcast, but not... Uh, not in the kind of living and breathing sense. Yes, so if you cast your mind back to the epic Moomintrology of uh, Mr. Burns. Oh, that oh, was good. Oh, that, that was epic. How he didn't find that is beyond me. Because he just doesn't look behind those DVDs. Although I guarantee you he checks them on a regular basis. I, I, I'm pretty sure you're the reason he, he now cleans his house. It's got nothing to do with like growing up, getting older. It's more just what shit has Jai planted next this time. Yeah, like, he's, he's, as far as I'm aware, he's not being in my house, but I'm not willing to take the chance. Um, I, th- well, I think uh, you could, but I would insist on full cavity search. No, no, I mean, I mean this, is like, this is Ralph saying, like, as far as I'm, I'm, I know, Jai's not being in my house, but God damn it, I'm not taking the chance. Well, all I'll say to Ralph is, do you remember that time when you miscalculated your, your tramadol dosage after you hurt your shoulder and you couldn't remember the fact that uh, Nick and I were in your house? All I'm saying is, at that point, Jai could have come through. It was during the week when he's not at work. Uh, just putting that out there. You he might want to go and have a rummage round. He's still not mentioned that he ever found those, uh, what was it called now, those terrible Transformers comics, Darkness something. Oh, Heart, was it the Heart of Darkness? Heart of Darkness, yeah. He still hasn't mentioned if he found them or not. Now, I didn't really hide them in a particularly difficult place, honestly. He, he does have some piles of reading that he, he's accumulated from both from me and other folk that, that don't get dented. I mean, I, I gave him a, a Todd McFarlane Spawn comic. Yes, I know what you're thinking, people out there. Why would you do that, Andrew? I thought you were the good half of the Stardom podcast. And you'd be wrong. I'm more evil than Ralph. I'm just funnier with it. No, it's the Alan Moore one, just because it was the Nine Circles of Hell. So, But it's, it's on his pile, and it, it's, it's there, and I can see it every time. It's like, I can read it. Just because I actually want to hear his thoughts on it. For me, one of Alan Moore's reasonable works. Not up there with March of the Sinister Ducks, though. I'll take your word for it. I know not of such things. You, how have you not heard of the March of the Sinister Ducks? I'll, at this point, listeners, we're shortly after this, I'll probably sandwich a little clip of this into the Stardom podcast. But it's an Alan Moore song about ducks being evil. It's actually a song, and he did sing it. No, I, I can believe this. The, I know people who are, fir- or a person rather, who is firmly avowed uh, multiple times that the ducks are evil. 
It's not Ralph. Ralph likes the ducks. He is frightened oh. of the cows, though. That's yeah. as we all should be, for they are a sinister beast at the best of times. Their eyes, their eyes suggest hidden knowledge. Everyone thinks they're such sweet little things. Ducks, ducks, soft downy feathers and Johnny's joined us, as I said. So we kind of normally we'd obviously have this as uh, we exchange random items of crap, but unfortunately we're not going to be able to do that this time because as much as the internet is fantastic, Johnny and I are separated by a good what forty fifty miles. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so a little bit difficult. So we kind of decided ahead of the game to talk just sort of blether a little bit about animation and one particular form of animation, as it were, and. If you've listened to this podcast, you know right away we aren't going to be talking about computer-generated animation because generally it would just be say, it's soulless, it's shit, we hate it, we hate it. Or at least I would anyway. We're actually going to talk about stop-motion. That's basically stop-frame animation. So, And it's as old as the hills. And still going, thankfully. So my question, Jais, when did you first sort of become a fan of it? What was it? As a, was it a kid or when you got older and a little bit more sophisticated? Oh, no. it, it would have been, its genesis would have been back in the early days of the 80s when I was watching the uh, television as a kid. And and the vast majority of it, for me, was uh, stop motion shows of some ilk or another. The, it wasn't until you got later 
been to the kind of a, I don't know, what would you call it, kind of six to ten type range that the, I was maybe primarily watching the, what you would call normal cartoons. I like Western cartoons with cell animation, etc. Before that, for me, it was almost entirely stop motion shows of some description or another. And it just seemed, it was just the natural thing for me. That's just how it's done. That's just the, that's kids TV. I was always kind of saying, not so much differentiate between stop motion and uh, cell animation, but to me, uh, even as a kid, uh, when kids TV was on for that hour, hour and a half, and you had a human being who wasn't presenting a link segment in a broom cupboard, it used to boil my piss something rot. It's like, why isn't this a cartoon? Why do I need to see people on the TV? Mm-hmm. I was actually talking about this recently with someone, the determining how it went. The it Basically, it, what it boiled down to is that when I'm watching my kids' TV, back in the day and now, I don't want to see people. I'm not interested in seeing people. I want to see the cre- interesting creatures and whatnot. The hence, well, well, part of the reason why I, I wouldn't watch things like Rainbow and uh, Sesame Street. Of course, part of that was because they were trying to teach me through, <laughs> through stealth. And my childlike brain went, no, I'm not having that at all. Entertain me. I'm not interested in this learning pish. The, so that was part of it. But the, the other part was I just, I don't, I'm not interested in watching human beings. I want to see interesting and, and crazy things I can't see in the real world. And uh, the the, uh, the rebuttal for this was, well, well, you love uh, uh, Fraggle Rock, though. And I said, well, yeah, but and to be fair, the worst parts of Fraggle Rock are the parts that have the, the guy in it, you know, the the lighthouse keeper. Funnily enough, the uh, and he was in it very, you know, he was basically the kind of not so much continuity, like he would really just start and end the uh, the episodes, kind of for the most part. He had very little involvement, so I kind of got away with it then. It was like a uh, switch off for a few moments where the, the old man does something and oh, the fraggles. Really? I, I loved Fulton McKay but mostly because obviously it couldn't go he would have about 30 seconds of dialogue and Sprocket would be on screen. Sprocket oh, yeah. the dog being obviously this aside from the doozer the do, sorry the doozers Sprocket was the best thing in Fraggle Rock back country mile. Oh yeah don't, don't get me wrong the fact that he had Sprocket with him definitely helped the to uh, assuade any kind of uh, feelings of uh, un- uninterest on my part. I will confess I've I've seen the, the US version of uh, Fraggle Rock and I've seen the, the, the UK version from back in the day. I think I've still got episodes of it taped on uh, off the telly. And I think part of part of the reason why, again, I was able to get away with Fraggle Rock is because the lighthouse, the lighthouse keeper that we saw was definitely British. And that, that just worked better for me. The, it, made, it made it a bit more easy for me, for me to digest it because like, I was a proper lighthouse keeper off, off the... Off the uh, the shores of you or Britain somewhere, I can I can get I can get away with that. Partly, probably part of that was because of this other show we're, we're going to talk about soon. Yeah, so I mean, for me, because I, I, I I grew up in Germany for some of my formative years, so we got not a huge amount of cartoons and kids shows actually, just because you only had one British channel, so it was kind of a hodgepodge. It was kind of BBC and ITV, so you kind of got like the best of it. So it wasn't a lot of filler. So I, I was a little bit older before that, so. I, Obviously, new kids puppety stuff like Button Moon and the like, but proper stop stop motion animation. I think for me was the Cosgrove Hall, Hall Wind in the Willows, oh, yeah. which was kind of the one that, again just gorgeous. So it's the one thing about sort of stop map, stop motion animation is it's incredibly time consuming to do, but once you've made your your models and your your armature and your design, that's it. So there's a lot of obviously upfront costs, but once they're done, they look. Gorgeous. 
and it looks so good because it's real. It's a real thing on the screen that's moving around, and it and that lends it, in, in particular for Winds in the Willows, especially in the kind of darker segments. Yeah, that lends it an extra edge of terrifying and creepy because it's a real thing on the screen. It's a physical thing. It's not just some some bad paint on a cell. Yeah, the, the weasels looked properly terrifying. They oh, did yeah. look evil. And even just, like, the, the vehicles and stuff as well. Just, like, they obviously made the little car that, that Toad would occasionally be sporting looking like a... Can I do These were amazing things. Oh, yeah. CG can't do that. I don't care how good it is. You can't do that with CG. I mean, CG can look good. I'm not a huge detractor of CG. I think CG has its place. But you can't beat a real physical prop moving on, on in front of a camera. No, I just can't beat that. No, absolutely. Again, uh, CG for me is I. It's not that I hate it as such, but I think it's a it's a tool, but it's one of many. And the problem is, it just seems to be the only tool for far too many film studios and, and film directors these days. Rather than going, you know what, physical effect would look good. Star Wars is obviously the easiest case in point to to, to look at. It's like the poster child for that. Yeah, I mean, look at it. I'm I'm sorry, CG Yoda. Yes, he can move about a lot more, but. You know what? Muppet Yoda from Empire and Jedi still looks more real to me. Yeah, because it is. It's a real thing. It's, it's, a, new, it's a physical thing that the, the actor has interacted with. Yeah, it's, it's there and it's not just something that can be, again, dicked about with on, on a computer rather than actually a physical presence. But yes, stop motions, again, obviously Ardman being the, sort of the biggest champions of it to this day, so it still has its place. Obviously, nowadays on kids' TV, probably less so because it's all cheap sort of Flash-style animation for a lot of things or CGI-rendered stuff a lot. So it's kind of not as prevalent as it was to sort of young kids as as we had it because we had chalk loads of stuff, in the, particularly in the UK as well, with Cosgrove, again, Cosgrove Hall and, and Ardman being in the sort of early stages doing doing things. We had lots and lots, even like claymation stuff like La Trap Door. Yeah, trapdoor. The um, I don't think it was claymation so much. Oh, well, national stop it and tidy up. That yeah. was claymation. Yeah, the yeah, and stuff like Charlie Chalk. I don't think Charlie Chalk was claymation. I think it was more just puppets. Yeah, like yeah. But these are these are all the things. So we had a, a, an absolutely mad amount of it. I mean, even going back further, like the Magic Roundabout was obviously oh, stop yeah. motion. All all these things. So it's all all this sort of beautiful handcrafted stuff. Just and that was. And let's be honest, kids. Kids TV was always designed to be throwaway stuff. It's it's only now we we live in a strange age where nothing is disposable. It can be kept for posterity, no matter how throwaway it is. Whereas these are things that were just cranked out. They get aired once, maybe twice, was the expectation, and that would be it. Now it just things seem to run and run, and get brought back on DVD, Blu-ray, Apple, download for iTunes, what have you. So it's so bizarre that, that so much money and craft and time was spent against these things. So, And you mentioned earlier one, one that we're going to sort of take a little bit of a more in-depth look at on its own just now. So care to share with the, the, the audience what that is? We are going to be discussing the, the little-known show that is The Adventures of Portland Bill. Now... I'm sure right now all of you about our age group have that little, that glorious theme tune in your head right now. And 
Yes, I will pop it into the podcast for those of you who were not of the right age or are too lazy to, cl- to type the words Portland Bill into YouTube. But after we finish chatting, you're damn well going to go and watch some Portland Bill. Yes, son. So, what was it that kind of... The Portland, how did you encounter Portland Bill and what was it that grabbed you? Well, I, it's one of these things that I would have, I would have been exposed to it from a really young age. The... It's, it's one of those things where I'm, I was born in 82, so conspire, con, compared to yourself, the, I would have been very young during the, uh, the heyday of all this kind of stuff. So I, have, I don't remember the first time I encountered a all lot right. of things like this. But it's something that's been an integral part of my childhood from the earliest days. And I, I can't tell you specifically what it was that really drove me to it as a child, because you'd expect that the... Well, I was going to say that you'd expect that more colourful and flashy things would be more my would be more inclined to capture the imagination of a young child. I mean, after all, the stories in Portland Bill—they're just they're the adventures of a handful of guys hanging out at a lighthouse, and there are hijinks which happen the around the activities of uh, being lighthouse keepers and going to the uh, going to the mainland to get supplies and whatnot. It doesn't sound very interesting, but it's just something. It was just something that captured my imagination. The it was like a, it's like some kind of eating warm pudding. It's it's not very uh, it's just like jam pudding. It's not particularly mind blowing, but it's very satisfying to me. If you know what I mean, the um, it's uh, very comforting. It's like comfort food, if you like. And, and that, I like also the fact it was clearly very very British. The that somehow reached out to me as well. I feel. No, yes, I'd I'd say it's quite good. Again, just even the mention of it, I can hear the theme tune. And one of the things I've always been a proponent of for for any kid's show is because kids, it's not that kids have a a short attention span because we we can sit glued to things to watch. What we have is, as kids, and I think it's one of the few things I've managed to retain, is a low tolerance for things that we think are shit. Mm -hmm. Now, if I think something's good... I'll endure watching it for as long as it's on. But if I don't think it's up to much, I'll bin it. And kids are ruthless with that. They won't suffer it, unlike, say, adults in company will suffer it because someone else in, in the family's wanting to watch it. It's like, okay, so they're... God knows how many people moan about the things that their other half watches that they're forced to watch. Whereas with a kid, it's none of that. It's like, no, you just rock up, rock up and go, right, I'm away to go and do something else. Yeah, so, it's either enjoyable or it's not enjoyable to you. And there's there's no in between. You're either you're either liking it and you're watching it, or you're just not interested. Yeah, and one of the things about that is that you've got to get kid, kid, kids hooked with a great intro. And it, as it can be, as say with cartoons, is obviously you get probably arguably some of the best animation sort of cell in cell cartoons certainly in their opening credits than you'll ever get in a main episode, and you'll mm-hmm. also get a really catchy song, something that sticks in and. Portland Bill, obviously, is not going to go flashy and exciting because it's stop-motion animation. It's kind of the same throughout. But it just has an incredibly little catchy feature. Yeah, I was thinking the other thing is that it's... Earlier on, you mentioned that CG is kind of soulless. And while I can definitely see you're coming from, I was thinking to myself earlier on, how am I going to really talk about Portland Bill? How am I going to describe it? And one of the things that jumped out at me straight away is that it's something that has a whole lot of soul it's got a lot of character to it, and I think the fact that it's a stop-motion show, with it's 
physical items on the screen that's been painstakingly the uh, crafted and over an extremely long time scale ph you know, photographed the many, many, many times to create this little five minute segment. And it's just the, the charm of the characters themselves. I think all of those things very much uh, you know, got their hooks into me, if you're like. Because again, the stories themselves are quite simple. But then again, a lot of kids' TV is like that. Like Thomas' Time Engine, right? It's very simple stories, yet it's massive. It's huge. And uh, for good reason, because it has a lot of charm to it. And this was the same way, The for me at least. The... And I think the other thing that kind of uh, appealed to me is that I'm, I've always, I was always a kind of technical kid. I liked see, knowing how things worked and seeing how things worked. And I always liked it when I could look at it, look at something on the screen and work out, or at least imagine how things are done. And part, I think part of the, the one of the little elements that always, always made me happy is that in the scenes where you're, you're seeing the sea, if you look at it, you can see that what the sea actually is, is a whole bunch of very slowly turning blue plastic large uh, screws. The rotating slowly with some kind of clear translucent blue film over the top and the undulations of the screw threads, you know, granted it's plastic, but the undulations of the threads moving up and down the screws created the full moving of the waves. And it, it looks all right. The, but, but I just I, I love the fact that I could I could see how the magic is happening on the screen. I, I could you know it's not just some flash CG effect which is like oh it's just being the computer. No, you can you can see what they've done and how they had to do it to make that effect. And it almost makes you think to yourself, well, if I had the patience to do that, if I could have spent some time to create myself some little figurines and whatnot, I could do that. You know that seems doable. And it was on the it was on the telly. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not to denigrate CG because it's easy to do in, in terms of us saying that it's rubbish, but it's just, as you say, it's someone who's learned, and obviously there's a lot of skill involved in learning how to, to build models and animate and render and the likes, oh, yeah. and not to not to do a disservice, but it just doesn't seem as as impressive as building something physically, and I don't think it ever will. And mm -hmm. that's because, you, as you said, you can see it on TV and, and, and the craft, I mean... And also, just to put in mind, what stop frame on frame animation literally means is one frame, one pose, and then adjust for anything up to, usually it's about 24 frames of animation per second for a television. Mm -hmm. So that's all the painstaking work that has to go through just for each shot. And as, as, as Jai's saying, obviously, they're, they're six-minute shots, but there's... Months obviously go, in, go into getting that done just because of where they are. So. Indeed. And although it's not something I particularly uh, take enjoyment from nowadays, as a kid I loved the the musical segments, the little songs that they would have in each episode. The And I remember in particular, I had up until recently and hopefully still have a picture book of Portland Bill. And one of the reasons why I love this book is not because of the story in it. So I think it was just a, it was just a screen grabs from an episode, but it had the full lyrics for the extended version of the song on the back, which was something that it was something that was sung during one of the episodes. 
three, but I had the actual lyrics on the back. And as a kid, and even now, I'm terrible at discerning what people are actually saying in songs. We're working out what the hell they're saying. So they have the actual lyrics on the back of this book. It was like, oh, I was so chuffed. It was, it was, it was amazing. The, but even then, just the, all the little songs that they sing, they were singing about, um, about singing about singing about uh, going to the mainland and the tidying up the lighthouse with and all sorts of things. Just little, little fun little tunes. And again, as a kid, I liked that. It was fun. I, I didn't really have the. I wasn't again a watcher of things like Sesame Street and whatnot. And those things, obviously, they got songs all over the place. But I refused to watch that pish because they were trying to teach me stuff. So this was like one of the few things I would watch where there were like songs in it. And yeah, I enjoyed it for that. Uh, it's just when you men- mentioned, obviously, before we were recording, I mentioned that he had a Portland Bill book, and it's like I've never heard of any merchandise for Portland Bill at all. No. It's, just one of these things that's just couldn't have been a lot of it just because of we we grew up in an age where merchandising had happened but not to the extent that we have it now where everything's there but, mm-hmm. but it's just like amazingly yeah, stuff there's, that a, there's a couple of books you can find on the internet for Portland Bill like the uh, important message which I think is one of the, one of the episodes as well there's a couple of little and there's a couple. There's, I think there's one annual. I've found a couple of books, but I've never seen the book I had. Is it was just well, it's to say large. It was um, it was a red covered book that was literally just a picture book. Like I've got a button moon version of the same kind of thing. Probably not from the same company, but it's the same idea. With just a bunch of uh, high quality images of you know the of an ep- well, not there wasn't images taken from an episode itself. I feel it's, it looks more like photographs taken on set. Of the the models models rather than taken from the VHS uh, sources, but it's just a bunch of uh, images from an episode with some text to describe what's going on in the story and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's it's, it's nice. It's, it's got a little it's a lot of charm to it. And I've, I had a similar thing for Portland Bill, and I have never ever seen another copy. And I hope I still have it. It should be in the up in the attic somewhere. No doubt I'll find it five minutes after this recording ends. The but yeah, I, I love that thing to death. The it was great. But just because, but for no other reason than just because I had the lyrics in the back, and I thought that was amazing. What's this? Uh, see now, just to, to give some background to Portland Bill before we go and, and talk over an, an episode to annoy you all, is it was only twenty six episodes, and it was uh, there was. Thirteen between fourth of October nineteen eighty three and the third of January nineteen eighty four, and the second series of thirteen was in from April nineteen eighty six to June nineteen eighty six. So I give you a rough idea of how long it took to do, and get on the screen. So a lot of work there, and it wasn't like a huge amount of people involved in this show either, even from the credits, because it was just a relatively small company that were doing it, and it was uh, some of, some of our American listeners might actually be aware of it. Because it was, was redubbed in 1990, uh, it was broadcast on the Disney Channel apparently straight after the Wuzzles. Yeah, I think I remember reading somewhere that the the person in the, in the show there's only one the the main character Portland Bill. These uh, oh, he also kind of acts as the kind of narrator kind of yeah. The, and I believe, if memory serves, I might be misremembering this, but in the US redub of it, because no doubt they redubbed it because they thought American children wouldn't be able to understand the British accents, it was 
Gary Chalk. You are correct indeed, sir. voiced the Bill and the, and the narrator. Now, I wish I'd actually known of that when he was at all assembly. Yeah, man. <laughs> I would have been far, far more interested in hearing about that than his Transformers stuff. Yeah, it's like, like, you were Portland Bill in America, what? It's like, fuck this noise about robots, tell me about how, how we recorded in Portland Bill was. Yeah. But no, it's, so it's, again, it was I, ITV and it was John Grace and Filmfare, and it was done through Granada Television back in the day. And apparently the thing is, it was a real copy of the actual, there is a, a lighthouse called Portland Bill and on the Isle of Portland, and it's just... The island was changed to Guillemot Rock, but is actually an ag- ex- a copy of the Portlandville Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And it- yeah. All the, the characters and all the locations are named after either real-life locations or, at the very least, just kind of nautical the terminology. You know, you've got Portlandville, who is the owner of the lighthouse on the Guillemot, Guillemot Rock, which... Uh, you did say Guillemot was a real real place somewhere. Was it, yeah. was it entirely fictional? It's, it, it's just been renamed uh, uh, from... It's basically out of Portland, but they've just renamed it Guillemot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've got his assistants, Ross and Cromarty. If you've, if you've ever heard the shipping forecast, you should be aware of what these are. Yeah, and then, of course, they've got the, the imaginatively named Dogger. <laughs> Which just, unfortunately, has such a horrible connotations now. Yeah, which again is from the shipping forecasts. It's one of the uh, the locations, one of the, uh, the areas off the coast. The that's the ref- one of the code names, one of the areas off the coast. I think it's Dogger Bank. Yeah. Uh, Still doesn't sound any better, does it? Uh, <laughs> all right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, well, moving on. I uh, see so you've got other people like uh, you've got Inspector Ronald's Way, the who is apparently it's named after a location off on the the south of the Isle of Man. And uh, was, there anywhere, was there anywhere else that was actually named after locations? I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, there was uh, Finisterre. All oh, right, yes. Which is after yeah. Cape Finisterre. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you've got the... Uh, th- there's a couple of boats in Portland, Bill, funnily enough. The Bill has his own little the uh, rowing boat, which he would take to get to the mainland to go get supplies and whatnot, called the Puffin. And the Eddie Stone... The owner of the, the well, the owner of the local, the uh, store, and the mailman, and policeman, and uh, gas inspector, and everything else you can think of, the uh, made use of a, a a petrol ship called the Kipper. So you can see, there's all sorts of nautical themes coming into the names, etc. And apparently, there was a couple of sheep on the island called Flotsam and Jetsam, uh, and, and the bull called Bulwer. <laughs> Yes. So, which is, a, which is a, if you don't know, it's a, it's a village in Northumberland. The it's, uh, it's on the coast of the North Sea. So, uh, okay. So, as you can see, just it's uh, it's very it's, nautical. Sneaking in education there, though, I think there's a, there's a lot, a bit of learning got in there, Jay. That's yeah, just I don't I don't think that's really learning because as a kid, I had no idea what these things were. Because you know, I never listened to the shipping forecasts as a kid. It wasn't something I had any reason to listen to. So. You know, I, I probably had an idea that these names probably meant something, but I had no idea. And I didn't feel that I was getting, ed- I was being educated by stealth. It was just funny names, you know, nautical names. I, I knew that some of them were the, but yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I think it's just references, just little fun little references. 
Right, so it, okay, so it's, it's a grand little show, and I have to admit, I haven't seen it in years. So I think we're going to pop on, say, a bit of an episode now, and we're going to have a little blather about it. We might share your share our thoughts with you during it, or might wait till after, and depend how it goes. So you're about to get the Portland Bill theme tune and possibly some more stuff. It's something I always liked is that the see when you're you know, if you look at the white sections of the uh, of the flotation ring, you can see that when the credits are the names are changing, is that the shadow changes because you're assuming. Well, I'm assuming what's going on is that they're they're swapping out a, a white arc section and putting in a new one that doesn't quite match it exactly. So the shadow changes as the na- as the, the, na- the names change. And I always enjoyed that because again, it's like seeing behind the magic. I can see how that how they did that. Yeah, just it's again something physical. And mm-hmm. A lot of chunky netwear on, on display very early doors. What you again? A lot of chunky netwear on display very early doors as oh, well. Right. Yes. Just, well, that actually helps though in the, in the stop motion because the heights, the uh, was the joints, if you like, the of the uh, of the armatures. It's, it's also the little props, the little can of it's brasso. We know it's Brasso, but it looks just almost like it, but not quite for legal reasons. Yeah, yes, you see there's a lot of that being uh, stop motion stuff of this kind of era. And that's one of the things, it's the amount of work that goes into these little details that your average kid isn't going to know. Mm-hmm. But, but, just, you, but it looks close enough to something you've seen yourself, but you know it's something and you, you know it's a real thing. You're supposed to be polishing. Not arguing. That's just. I was just telling Ross about the time I caught a fish this big. I think. I don't know how big these things are because you can see that they're clearly wearing like uh, wigs. I suppose it's 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 not just sculpted uh, fake hair. It's actual material. These must have been a fairly decent size. Probably about the size of the Wallace and Gromit ones. So. Oh yes, said I. Yeah, but so it's obviously it's part of the reason why you can get so much detail into the backgrounds and props and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even just the weaving of the, on the on the woolly, the chunky knitwear. It's got patterns in it. It's not just. Well, mine yeah. Was this it's not just fuzzy felt. Bright yellow dungarees are a winner, though. You two always bickering over something or other. The only way to stop this argument is to hold a fishing match. We'll see who can catch the biggest fish for tea. Well, that suits me fine, said Crumpy. I'll get the rest of my gear. <laughs> oh, yeah, and you know that these are going to be, these will be real chains on this, on the external details. These will be very, very fine, almost like, um, you can a chain you would have on, the, on your sink, plug hole. Yeah. yeah. It'll, it'll probably be something like that. To their favourite places on the rock. Well, by now, I'd had enough of their arguing. And I decided that the fishing competition had to end in a crappy bill. And for that, I had. I feel like I'm talking to the camera as well. <laughs> oh yes, you're talking to the audience, yeah. I'm, I don't know if we see it in this one, but the one of the other effects I always loved about Portland Bill is that the when you see the surf, it's just ripped up cotton balls, which are they're just a. Uh, which they're animating through stop motion, but you can clearly see it's a, it's the clear plastic, the uh, we mentioned before, plus some little white cotton balls to simulate the surf in the waves. Puffing and pulling against each other for about ten minutes, I decided that enough were enough. So I cut the line, and they both fell back with a bump. Suffering swordfish! Gasp, Ross. I'm glad that's over. 
My fish nearly pulled me into the sea. Hey, and mine broke my line. Well, perhaps you'd better try for smaller fish from now on, I cried. But Cromedy was worried. Uh, we yeah. caught nothing for tea. And I'm hungry. Again, let's see, you can see the part, they've not shown you the entirety of the front of the can of beans, but it's clearly supposed to be Heinz, it's beans. Now the reason they've changed the Z, or not Z, it's not a Z, but there you go. They've, they've partially showed you the label, but not fairly, so you, you, know, you clearly know it's supposed to be Heinz. Well, it's just this, it's, it's just the attention to that, say for details that are only on screen for fractions of a second. Look at that map in the background, that's a fairly detailed map. Yeah. And they put in the pictures of it hanging up and whatnot. These things must be fairly large, I would imagine. Now that was one I mean, this isn't the, obviously very elite, so obviously retrographics isn't quite as easy as it is now with an average house being able to do it. Mm -hmm. If you look at the, the waves here, you, you can see the, the edges of the, uh, like the screws that I mentioned. They must have like a dozen screws there. There's some in front, of, and you can I think you can almost kind of see that where the uh, the lighthouse would be standing, there's a gap in the middle of the uh, of the scene, if you like, the, so that the uh, the, the anim animators can get in to the uh, the internal the inside of the scene. And you've got a couple of threads at the beginning in front of it, the with their clear plastic on over, and then on the back end behind the, the behind the lighthouse uh, prop, if you like, you've got even more to give you the the foreground. So yeah, I, I just love all that stuff. I mean, it wasn't until you told me that's how it was done. I never knew, even as a, a when as a kid, I had no idea how the, the water was done. That did always kind of go, well, how did they do that? Because Water's one of these things, like even for things like watching the old Godzilla films, you can tell when it's in a tank and it's, it's miniaturised, it's not quite there, but that was just, rather than use water, real water, they just went, we'll go for a stylized effect, but I, had, I never knew what it was, and now I can, now having looked at it, I can see it, and I can see how it's done, Just like, there's a genius way of actually coming up with a, a really good resolution to, how do we make water? Yeah, it, it creates a very nice undulating effect to simulate the waves and it was only the it's one of these things where just you, you watch it and you're watching it and you're watching it as a kid you don't really question how they've done it it's just that's just that's just how it is and then just one day i just saw the edge of, of one of the screw threads and i watched it as it moved up and i went hang on wait a minute that's a, that's a, that's a big screw ah, that's how they did it no, it's absolutely and again, as you can see, just even from listening, it's only five minutes long an episode. They're not massive, massive length stories, and they were just sort of in there. And I think it was obviously uh, the ideal sort of gap filler in a schedule for mm -hmm. so for kids' TV. So it was just just there because I mean, I, I don't remember it being being on all the time. I just remember it in fits and starts seeing it. Yeah, like the odd episode here, the odd episode there. It's not something that I recall sort of sitting down to watch on you know, like, like a weekly basis, say like like a He-Man or Thundercats, Transformers right. or the like. Yeah, I think I must have clearly have liked it enough my parents were out of the way to try to record it because I seem to have quite a lot of the episodes taped off the jelly from back in the day. The I'm actually ha happy-ish to report that if someone is so inclined to, to try and acquire some Portland build, you can because the majority of the show has been released on DVD. Which is and which is utterly amazing to me that anyone would even bother. But unfortunately enough, it's not the entirety of the show. It's just most 
of the show. It's, it was put out by uh, Abbey Home Media in uh, two volumes of uh, 12 episodes each. And for those of you who you know, have a bit of memory and some basic math, you'll realise that means there's two episodes missing. And it's the two final episodes the, of the show. And I I distinctly remember one of them because it's, it's one of the ones I had to off telly back in the day. It was, I can't remember what it was called, but it was set during winter time. And the, the, the joke of the episode was that the, everyone was telling each other to mine that ice because the, 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 the ground was slippery. And of course, the, at the end, it was a big hoo-ha because everyone's fell down at the end. It was like, oh, ho, 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 ho. So, uh, but the last episode I'd never seen. At least I don't think so, I have. I, I think it's one, the only episode I didn't get taped off the telly. So there's one episode of Portland Bill I have not seen. And as far as I'm aware, it's not been released on any format anywhere, ever. They actually emailed Abbey Home Media a while ago to say, look, like, well, it's, it's, it's weird that they released it as 12 episodes per DVD rather than just do 13 episodes and just do the whole show in, in two sets, because I can't imagine it would have been a push to get 13 episodes onto the disc rather than 12. But I asked them, look, I know it's only two episodes, and you're not going to release a DVD just for two episodes, but do you have any plans to release these episodes on some kind of compilation with something else? You know, just to complete the show. But they, I never got a reply. So I would take it as a personal favour if everyone who listens to this podcast very politely, very politely and genuinely, you know, emails Abbey Home Media to ask them what's the possibility of getting the final two episodes of Portland Bell released in some fashion. Even if it's just as part of a compilation with some of the other properties. Because they've got a whole bunch of uh, uh, properties, the like, uh, funnily enough, the Magic Roundabout. The, uh, the they're the ones who have cur- currently have the license for Super Ted. The mm. a whole bunch of other things. And Sooty Sweep and Sue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, Paddington. Yep, Strawberry Shortcake. And some other things which are of of less than interest. But let's go. Yeah. I'm just going to consult the website. But yeah, so uh, I'll include their email address in the show notes but for those of you that are paying attention just now contact at abbeyhomemedia.com or if if you want to be really dedicated send in a letter now that's not one of your normal hateful letters uh, listeners to the podcast done in crayon your own excrement or your own blood proper one you know type it up put a signature on it might help actually that would probably be better because who uses physical mail nowadays if you're going to send a physical mail and I, I may actually do, now do that now you've mentioned that the you know that actually gets people's attention because it's not just a quick email that's fired off they want you to be their friend on Facebook but right now not until you release those two episodes of Portland Bill free yeah. the Portland Bill too yeah no it's, it's again it's just such a gentle kids cartoon as well there's it's there's no no real conflict or jeopardy it's just Things that happen to people, and yeah, I can, I can see why they dubbed it to the for for America just purely. Mm-hmm. Again, a little bit of the Scottish accent, which, as we all know, doesn't always travel the best. Yeah, but as see, it's, it does feel even now. I mean, it's 20, 20 years on from from when it first aired. It does still feel quite quite British. Oh yeah, feel extremely British. Yeah. It's kind of it's there. It's absolutely. I mean, you you can look and it has a sense of sense of identity to it that you could argue a lot of things now probably don't and are very generic or, or very samey. And it's let's say just 
absolutely wonderful in terms of the, the craft for it. I can't I can't speak highly enough that the the level of detail and effort that goes into something that's arguably, as I said, for for back in the day. I mean, this was nineteen eighty three, so home video had really only just kind of started. And you didn't release kids stuff on on home video because a, a video cassette costs something like seventy quid to, yeah, to buy brand new. One or two VHS releases of Portland Bill. Funnily enough, I have one of them. The uh, there's another one out there that I don't have, but those episodes are all the ones which are on the DVDs anyway. As far as I'm led to believe, the yeah, I, I just found it in a second-hand store one day, and I was like, "Holy crap, Portland Bill! I'm having that." As, as any right-thinking person would do, I myself wouldn't. But that's not because I hate Portland Bill. It's just I don't have a VHS player anymore, so it'd just be a it'd just be a nice box with a picture of Portland Bill on it. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, see, it's one of these things that let's see that. I mean, Postman Pat was arguably probably the longest sort of stop-motion kids show that kept going. I don't know if it's actually stop-motion now or if it's moved to kind of CGI mimicking the sort of the look of the stop-motion. Mm-hmm. I don't want to find out, to be perfectly honest, because it would probably upset me and it trigger about the swearing. Yeah. But I say it's just, it is just the sheer level of, of craft for a kid's, a throwaway kid's show, ultimately was just there to either fill a gap in the schedule for five minutes here or there or for a couple for a spell of weeks during a year. Mm-hmm. And it always kind of felt to me like a, a sister show to say, um, uh, what's what you crying again? The uh, Cockleshell Bay. Because the, again, it's, um, it's, it's set at the seaside, there's, uh, there's nautical terms thrown around. The animation looks very similar. The, uh, the actual characters themselves they look they look like they're from the same universe if you like they, the way they're sculpted looks very similar to how the character in portland bill look yeah the, there's not identical but it's very very close the i don't think as far as i'm aware there's, there's no actual connection between the different crews i uh, don't think they're made by the same people but no it's uh, just cosco hall that did the yeah. cockle shell bay mm-hmm. it just felt like you know these two shows exist in the same you know, world you know, they just look identical or at least very very similar and they have the kind of same feeling as well the same kind of a very gentle very kind of comfort food the uh kind of vibe going it's like just for small kids there's no real conflict it's all just the little adventures that kids or people they have in their day-to-day lives either at their job or just in this case in this case of cockle shell bay just the the fun adventures that kids invent the being able to play around the, the seaside type thing yeah. There was quite a few, you know, at least in my mind, I made many connections between them where there technically wasn't. <laughs> no, they, they probably they probably would have back there. I'm, I'm actually struggling to remember Cockleshell Bay other than the name, which I do recall. I mean, it was Cosgrove Hall, so I can guarantee I probably would have watched it. I mean, mm-hmm. they, I think that's, again, just to kind of divert just a little bit, probably one of the few brands of animation that we would have been aware of as kids outside of uh, Warner Brothers and Disney. I think you'd probably argue that's probably number three in the list for British kids, because you knew who you were getting: Danger Mouse, Count Dracula, Wind in the Willows, when a whole host of random different things. But you knew when it said Cosgrove Hall, you kind of went, "Oh, this is going to be all right then." Yeah, it's, it's always quality stuff from Cosgrove Hall. But the ma- really, they they are still the uh, I would say the, the masters of the stop motion animation. The with, you know with physical puppets and the like. They, they really honed their craft to uh, an extremely high degree. It's a shame that they've moved away from it now, and, and to be fair, they're actually gone. 
now as far as I'm aware. Yes. At least their original building is, is gone. No, yeah. they are. The, the actual last thing that they, they did, I believe, was actually the stuff for uh, BBC, uh, so the Doctor Who scheme of the Schalke thing. So as Cosgrove Hall uh, itself's kind of gone, they're now called Cosgrove Hall Fitzpatrick Entertainment, and they've kind of they're doing stuff now, it would appear, but not. It doesn't look like it's going to be in the same way. It's a, a new thing that there's a new thing they're doing called Pip, but it just looks like a sadly looks like a Flash cartoon. Mm-hmm. But they've got David Jason in to do one of the voices, apparently, which well, it's a Cosgrove course. Hall thing. Of, of course they do. <laughs> it, it's Cosgrove Hall. It would have to be David David Jason. It's just, that's Danger Mouse and <laughs> Duncula, for God's sake. Well, not just that, but he's, but he's uh, Mr. Toad. Yep, and Toad as well. So he obviously got, but it does look just that it's not. The Cosgrove Hall, as we know them, I've, I've since since past if if they do something new for for new kids uh, I'm not going to knock them for it I mean but it just looks like I say that stop motion isn't going to be part of what they do and again it, I think largely just because of cost now yeah it's, it's very uh, time and cost intensive The uh, and, and there's not a whole lot of people now who are skilled enough in it to really do it I mean, uh-huh. the, the legacy of a uh, of a uh, What's his name now? The uh, stop motion legend Harry something Harry Housen. That's it. Ray Harry Housen. Yeah, hey Ray Harry Housen. His legacy has uh, unfortunately come to an end. I feel the uh, it's, it's a very sad thing. Yeah, I mean, if I'm trying, I think the last film that was extensive stop motion would probably be actually the the Fantastic Mr. Fox film that was done. I have not seen that. It's the mm. one that was voiced by, I think it was George, the George Clooney. Uh-huh. But it's, 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 uh, well, it, it wasn't quite stop motion, but the Coraline looks to me like something that would have been made with stop motion had it, had it been done the, what, 10, 20 years ago. But it, although it was clearly CG, it had that kind of a stop motion-y kind of look to it. And I can get away with that because it's, you're basically paying homage to the old craft. Yeah. The with new tools, and I, I'll, I will, I can get away with that. The without any kind of real problems, because ultimately, it's stop motion is one of these things where you can't really do it on any kind of huge production level at this point. It's just way too time and labor intensive. Whereas you can have a single guy in front of a computer create some models and then tell them to move here, move there, do that, and you can let it render overnight. And yeah, and there you go. Oh, well, obviously, uh, Ardman being the only exception to that in terms of as a major effort. But as as you can see, they do. There's extensive CGI work involved as well now. So so, so it's a mixture of both, and it's obviously to say quite labour intensive, given that it's quite a few years between their films. Mm-hmm. So, and again, that's that's probably the thing is anybody who can do stop motion is probably now currently employed by Ardman making their films. Yeah, it's quite true. So rather than where you had sort of cheap animation done, what even going back to sort of things like Trumped and Ivor the Engine and the like, that those days are gone. It's now just sadly computers. God, we sound old. <laughs> yeah, I see. When I was a kid, I wanted to be someone who made models for stuff like that, to make models for things like television shows or movies like Star Wars and the like, or things of this nature. I wanted to be the guy who made that stuff. This, but, uh, yeah, but, 
suffice to say that didn't pan out. Yeah. The, the world moved on. No, it's, it's kind of thing. I don't think I'd ever have the patience, uh, as you say, to, to do the animation. No, it takes but a very specific... Uh, a mindset for mindset, that. Mindset, yeah. A very specific personality. But I wanted to be the guy who just made yeah. the stuff. I could probably do that. I could design it or I could I could make it, but I, I sure as hell could not animate it. And I, it's, it's just... Even watching when you used to get to see the sort of little clip, little bits behind the scenes of some of these these stop motion uh, studios every now and then, and just looking at the sheer amount of effort that went in for a fraction of a second, mm-hmm. and it's just like well, even, not just for, even with not stop motion. See if you go onto YouTube and go to the the Henson YouTube channel. Yeah, they've got videos there behind the scenes from stuff like their Fraggle Rock days and and the, how they they did the effects. And just to see the, the technical wizardry that went into the doozers. Yeah. Them, just them on their own. It's mind-blowing. And they were and just background colour, background flavouring to the main story, which was the yeah. Fraggles. And the Gorgs. The Gorgs used the same kind of technology that, as far as I'm aware, the Skeksis used in the, the Dark Crystals. They had a, an actor in the suit. and But because the Gorg's head was so much higher than being a real human, they had cameras in the eyes of the Gorg head. And then they had it th- that image fed into a television monitor, which was right in front of the eyes of the of the, the the dancer who was in the suit, so that they could be looking at things and and not trip over stuff because their perspective screwed up. Oh, it's, it's just such a such an absolute shame that the, this has gone to an entire generation of people. To be honest, except yeah. in, except when old farts like us sort of moan and shout about it and tell people about it. Yeah. But, yeah, indeed, Angry Man. So, but recommend to say we we exhort all Star Dub listeners. You will write at least the very least an email, polite, cordial, requesting that Portland those Portland built episodes, or you can handwrite a letter. Again, I will take it as a personal favour, and I will take it as nay the mandatory minimum effort that you should do outside of just letting this download from iTunes. Go on, Stardub listeners. You can do it. You can help us get the last two Portland Bill episodes. Is, is that, that not? That would be that would be amazing if that actually happened. <laughs> I think we would. Uh, I would then uh, get you some kind of ceremonial badge or and or cape. I would be down with this. Yeah. So we're going to take our leave of you uh, for the moment. So Jai, uh, where Pretel can uh, listeners? Uh, discover or, or run from you on the internet depending on their preference well if you wanted to discover me you, you can speak to me on twitter at jiidwe or sometimes I make appearances on back to the 80s on the, the nerdsphere network whenever I, my schedule coincides with uh, just with, the, with those guys and of course you can find me at Andrew D. Turnbull and obviously at the Stardom website star-dub.com uh, I'm now resigned to the Daily Strikes, it's not ending at in 20 episodes time. Currently, right now, I'm penciling in perhaps 250. Who knows, it may end up going for the entire year. I am actually happy about it, even though my voice says something else. So, I'd like to th- extend a, a great, a great uh, thank you to Jai for stepping in and being to this week's Stunt Ralph. Yeah, it's my pleasure. The, oh. I've, I've enjoyed being Ralph for a day. The, it's a very unusual experience. I feel ir- irrational hatred for all sorts of lovely things in the world. But I, I, up until today, I, I thought were fantastic. 
the I suddenly hate Newmans for some reason. I don't know why. I was going to say so. Literally, once the once we stop recording, will you suddenly suddenly, uh, suddenly realise? No, oh, no, Newmans are all right. I don't know that that can't possibly happen. The you know because Newmans are shit. Clearly, they're they're evil little trolls. What? What? What about well, Manimal? Well, Manimal. Sorry, the, the magic the magic's failing me. The Manimal, I have no opinion on. I'm sorry, I've never seen it. I can't even fake Ralph's opinion on that. Jai, I'm gonna have to sort that out. I'm so I'm there sorry, will be man. some kind of man. If I have to go around the internet one person at a time making them love Manimal, I'll fucking do it. I know. I, I know you will. So, ladies and gentlemen, the screaming you will hear shortly is the, is the screams of delight from Jai's experiences, the pilot episode of Manimal, <laughs> and the awesomeness of Simon McCorkendale. Okay. I'll be back in probably two weeks' time, or there or thereabouts. Uh, will it be with with Ralph? Who isn't buried under my patio, dead at all? Or will it be with a new stunt Ralph? Could it be an old stunt Ralph? Could it be an imaginary stunt Ralph? You just don't know. You're just going to have to come back in two weeks' time. And I've left it incredibly late, but hello to Nick Roach. Goodbye. Come on, Dogger. I'll take you for a walk. It's a lovely sunny day And as I roll I like to sing It helps me on my way I'll do a spot of fishing To see what I can catch A message in a bottle Or a tasty silver fish Roll my boat Sing my song I'm rowing to the mainland I'll get there before long. Who writes the most letters? I don't know. Fishermen, they're always dropping lines. another story. There's always something happening on the Guillemot Rock. We're polishing and cleaning everything we can Till all the brass is gleaming and the room is spit and span Scrub dust Polish and rub with cleaning cloth and water tub. Splish, splosh, mopping the floor with puddles and bubbles all over the floor. Which fish gets the most applause? Oh, I don't know. Which fish does get the most applause? A starfish.
<laughs> I can't wait to tell you my next story. Edward Stone's Emporium. What's that? Time for a song. Oh, oh. A box of nails for Finisterre, a bolt of tartan too, some chicken wire, a pair of pliers. Now, which one would he choose? There's letters and there's parcels, lots of groceries. Today's the day that Eddie Stone makes his deliveries. Two jars of homemade honey, three pounds of china tea. Some ten pegs and some tennis balls, a slice of cheddar cheese. There's letters and there's parcels, lots of groceries. Today's the day that Eddie Stone makes his deliveries. What kind of house doesn't weigh very much? I don't know. What kind of house doesn't weigh very much? A lighthouse. <laughs> Edward Stone's Emporium. What's that? Time for a story. Oh, good. Come with me to the rolling sea while the weather's calm and still And we'll have some fun and laughter with the adventures of Portland Bill 